All right, we're going to get started. All right, so I get three weeks to cover everything technology related. So I've got three magic bullets, one each week. Just teasing, we don't have any of that. Um, but I do hope that this can be a help. Um, today, very much so, is going to be an introduction and a lot more maybe intangible. And then over the next two weeks, I plan to get a lot more specific, all right? Um, if you've ever read a book on technology, one of my favorite things about those books is that it takes time to publish a book. And by the time the books come out, all of their examples are useless. So um, I read a book, uh, a couple books this week, one of which I've read a couple times. It was written in like 2013. And almost every single example he used about anything phone or social media related is totally obsolete. Um, and that's just the way technology moves. So it is part of the just discussion itself that you have to be a lot more principalized um, if I were to just stand here and give you edicts on above about how to uh, talk about TikTok, then uh, in about three months, that would probably be out of date. Plus, I don't know anything about TikTok. So. All right, let's pray, and uh, then we're going to jump in. God, thank you for the opportunity to examine how you want us to structure our homes and how we can use technology and um, to accomplish those needs. I pray you'd help us each uh, as we bring different experiences, as we bring our own perspectives on this, that we would each be committed up front to submitting ourselves to what you want over our own preferences or needs or, or wants. And uh, I pray that in doing that, that you really would honor that kind of spirit towards you and your word. And in the long run, that you would help us to create the kind of home environments, the kind of life environments that really help spiritual disciplines and um, the focus on Christ to flourish. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, you might be thinking technology. What exactly are we talking about here? Well, we're going to be talking about VR the whole time. I'm just teasing, right? If any of you, that was, that was just for Pastor Greg. I got to laugh. It's all it was for. It'll never show up again, all right? Um, when we talk about technology, I'm going to use a very just colloquial definition. I'm using technology in the sense that Pastor Greg basically was using it, like phones and internet and stuff. That's really what I'm talking about. Um, there is a way. Oh, there is a way in which uh, everything we use, every tool, is technology. Um, but I'm really speaking about more specifically. How do we use the internet, phones, those kinds of internet-connected devices in a way that really honors God, especially in our homes? Now, throughout the history of mankind, there's been lots of changes, right? I mean, you just think about the developments that have happened, whether it's huge societal changes or. Uh, you know, transformations in the way we commute or the way we connect with each other. Um, and, but there is something kind of fundamentally different about the kind of age we're living in now. And I think we all know it intuitively, but what I want to do just for a couple of seconds here is to kind of collectively ask this question, what is it that makes technology, by which I mean internet, phones, computers, connected devices, what makes that different than changes we've experienced in the past? What makes it different than like an automobile or just advancements in like farming machinery. Like what is different about those kinds of internet connected devices that we haven't had to face before really as people, as humanity? What makes that different? That's great. Okay, it's digital. That is different, uh, especially the, the amount to which it's digital, okay? It's fast, all right, and easy, right? I mean, how many of you saw like a, your two-year-old pick up the phone for the first time and somehow figure out your password. It's like, what happened? <laughs> um, it's, it's fast, it's easy, it doesn't need an instruction manual. I remember my mom, uh, when I was in high school, she was asking me, now, where's the instruction for this thing? And it was something technology related, I don't remember 
simple one. I said, Mom, do you need an instruction manual? They didn't design it right. Like, you just figure it out. It's not, it's not supposed to be difficult. All right, good. What else makes it different than what we faced in the past? Daniel? Yeah. Yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah, and it's, it's attainable even financially. I mean, you see little kids with stuff. I mean, how many of you have probably, if you were to go, I don't, you probably don't know how to, if you know how to look in your, on your Wi-Fi network, I'm sure Nathan does, you can see how many, like, dozens and dozens of Bluetooth devices you have in your phone. And some of the, which you're like, I didn't even know I had that many. I heard somebody just yesterday talking about how they thought they had, like, five internet-connected devices, and then they did some scan and realized they had over 60. And they're like, what? Where are these things coming from? They're just everywhere. Yeah. All right, good. What else makes it different? Yeah, Nathan. All right, it's addictive. And there's some, something behind that, too, that we'll talk about. All right, what else? Yeah, Joe? Yeah. And in a very real sense, it kind of, you, it's necessary to life. I mean, I mean, you can't, like, get directions. You can't connect with people in any meaningful way. You can't really get a job with that. I mean, so it's not something that is peripheral or really can be in modern life. All right, good. What else? Elaine? Yeah, and some of that's good and some of that's bad. Um, but it, it is changing the way we actually interact with inter inter information. Uh, I remember talking to a, an air traffic controller. I knew who was retiring, and he was just bemoaning the fact that he was getting all these young guys in. This is probably 2007, something like this. And they were coming in, and he was trying to train them on things that they had to know. And they were like, well, can't I just look it up? And he's like, no, you're an air traffic controller. You have two seconds, and you have to know the right information. And he's like, these young guys just don't understand that some things you can't Google. Like, you have to know them up front. But we interface with information totally differently than a lot of previous generations because we really can look at anything instantly. And that's a great benefit, but it also changes the way we actually think about info uh, everywhere. You don't try to memorize everyone's phone number. I mean, try see me at the Valley Market trying to remember Megan's phone number to enter in our Valley Rewards. And I'm like, uh, don't ask me this again. So. <laughs> been too long. It's been a month since I tried this, but it's like, why would I need to know that, right? So it changes even how we access it. What makes it different other than the things we mentioned? Oh, yeah. 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 You can dip in and out of it in 10 seconds. Um, yeah. Pastor Greg? Yeah. Yeah. Good. And kind of in that realm of social pressure, anything else? I have another idea there, but maybe somebody else was already thinking about it. I just saw some scenes go up. No? Any other ideas? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, in a very real sense. And, and maybe tying these two together, the kind of the angle I was thinking of, too, is it's social in the sense that you can't really make individual decisions. When you make a decision about technology, you're really making a decision for everyone else around you, too. To say, like, oh, well, I'm not on that is another way of saying, like, I'm not going to connect with you. Like, you're making a social statement towards people. So there are, there are not a lot of individual decisions to be made. Um, and you probably feel that, especially if you're a parent of kids. When you make a decision for your kids, you're not making a decision just for them. It really totally changes their social landscape. 
you know, their friends are all on whatever. And now you're like, well, what do I do with this? So you're not making individual decisions anymore either. There's a social aspect to it that you can really frustrate people by not adapting to those things. And you can't really pull out without making a statement. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, whether that's financial or moral, I mean, there's just so many angles that technology can quickly get you to um, without any attempt on your own. Um, we've talked about a lot of the things I had kind of listed here myself. Um, but maybe just one more, and this is kind of foundational to a lot of what we've talked about that makes it fundamentally different, and that is that we don't have experience from past generations to draw on about this specifically. You know, you think about other technologies that we faced, advancements in cars or advancements in machinery. It's like, well, I mean, like, I could talk to, like, my dad about changes he went through in his, his work life, but how do I talk to somebody about, like, how VR is affecting the way my kids interact with people in real life? Like, I mean... How do I, that's, there's no basis for me to talk about that. Um, and so in a very real sense, we can't fall back on specific wisdom from the past. And that makes this especially difficult because in a sense, we kind of are on our own with all of this. Um, as we don't have wisdom that's been handed down from generations to immediately apply to our particular situation. And, and on top of all of that, all of this changes so quickly, as I mentioned to start with, that even if you figure it out, for today, by next month, it's out of date. And I think that makes it way more difficult, especially when you're parenting kids through this. Like, wait, what is this app? And then three weeks later, it's like, nobody uses this anymore. Like, okay, well, sorry, I thought everyone was on this. No, that was like, now our parents are on that. We're not on that anymore. Um, <laughs> and it changes so quickly, so rapidly, that you really can't get to a point where you get it. Because the moment you get it, the stream's already moved. Um, so what this requires all, the reason I'm going through this is not to give us anxiety. <laughs> the reason I'm going through this is to help us realize that the reason this feels like a challenge is because it really is. And what I want to talk about in just a second is two pitfalls that it's easy to fall into when it comes to tech because of, I think, a lot of the things we've talked about. Um, there's a, a, several resources I'm going to recommend in our next couple of sessions. One of them is called The TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. It's a really great book, but he as a basis for that book, did a lot of research with the Barna Institute. And they asked parents, what makes technology more difficult to raise kids today? Or what makes, what makes it more difficult to raise kids today? And the number one answer out of all of those was technology and social media at 65%. And it's no surprise to any of us. And this was 2013, 20, 2014, I think. 2016, sorry. Um, out of date already. All right, 2016. So that's been what, six years? Yeah, it's just, I mean, that's, what's social media six years ago? I mean, it's nothing like it is today. TikTok's the most popular website anywhere in the world, and a couple of years ago, it didn't exist at all. I mean, it's just the amount of change that's happened, even in these six years since this was done, I'm sure those numbers have only gone up. Now, when it, when it comes to the differences, the changes we face, sometimes it's easy to compare technology to just any tool. Tools are neutral, right? You've got, you know, you've got a tool, and you can use it poorly, or you can use it well. But... What makes technology different than something just like a hand, all right? What is it behind technology that makes it a different kind of tool? Because it is a tool, for sure, but it's not a 
neutral tool like that. So out of the things we've talked about, or maybe adding your own, what, why is it different than something neutral like a tool? Okay? Yeah, how it can influence? Good. You don't want to do that? Yeah, good. It's a reflection, and not just of your heart, but there's actually people behind the tool. And I think well, when we look back in history, you know, even just 15 or you know, 18 years now to the start of things like Facebook, one of the things that people are very critical of is how naive a lot of those founders were and just how they basically, how naive they were on their control over people and societies. And I think that'll be one of the real hallmarks of our generation as people look back is how naive people have been about that. Um, the reality is you're not looking at a tool that's neutral. Everything you interface with, internet connected wise, has somebody behind it. And they're nudging you certain ways. And actually that's kind of a popular term in this space is nudges. And that's really what the entire thing, the system is built on, is allowing, is people nudging you towards different decisions. Those nudges can be something as simple as like a ding on your phone if it goes off, or a notification or a number next to your little mail icon. I don't want to know if it's above like 9,000. Don't talk to me, all right? <laughs> um, but it can be all these kinds of things. It can just be the little play button at the end of the Netflix episode. All those little things are just little nudges. They're not telling you to do anything. They're just making it easier, to Daniel's point, it, making it easier just to kind of continue along the rabbit trail. It can, those nudges are things like algorithms that collect specific data that on you, you become the, the, the uh, thing that they're targeting. And then here they are just pulling you in. Um, one of the things, well, I'll, I'll, yeah, I guess I'll tell this quick story. So my, one of my daughters, so an advertisement. And I'm like, I've seen way too many advertisements in my life, skip all the advertisements. For some reason, at least for one of my daughters, advertisements are the reason you watch TV. I'm just like, child, we are doing this all wrong. Well, she got, really obsessed with this one advertisement she always saw, knew the song for the commercial, just was like, Dad, it's like this, it's the best thing ever. So we finally let her spend her own money, she saved up forever for it, it's a total waste of money, it's a piece of junk, but whatever. Um, we let her get the thing as a, an exercise in parenting, um, learning through making mistakes. And so she gets the thing, pulls it out and says, Dad, it's nothing like what they said. Like, yes, exactly, and this is the lesson. When can we throw it in the trash? Um, but uh, those nudges all along the way, just for months, just worked their way on, on her little heart until she said, like, okay. But the reality is that happens to all of us. Now, you may be sitting here and saying, like, I'm not on social media. I don't have any, like, I don't have a smartphone. I'm not. But what we don't realize is, like Daniel mentioned earlier, it's just ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And so whether you're connected specifically to it or people in the body here, or your own family members are, you can't avoid it, like Dave mentioned earlier. And there are people behind it who are using it to nudge us certain ways. And a lot of what I hope to do in the series is really just make us aware of what those nudges are and for us to be intentional about them. Now, I mentioned earlier that I wanted to uh, point out a couple of pitfalls, but let me first of all just say what I'm not trying to accomplish <laughs> in the series. I'm, I don't have magic bullets. I'm not gonna give you a list of rules. I'm not gonna promise to protect your family or call you to embrace or reject all technology. I'm not trying to get you to use more or use less or anything like that. 
really this series is a call to apply biblical wisdom with intentional living. And here's what success would sound like for me. If throughout this time, you would go home, either purposely yourself or with a spouse, if you're married, that you would go home and really take time to sit down with an open Bible, with a prayer, and purposefully plan how you're going to interact and make that a pattern of your life. To our point of things changing constantly, you can't do this once and be done with it. Uh, you really can't. You're changing. The technology around you is changing. And so what we need to do as, as biblical faith, biblically faithful people is to apply God's wisdom to the ever-changing world we're in. Now, uh, like I mentioned, I want to point out two uh, pitfalls. And the first one is this. I'm calling it out there-ism. Right? There are particular, we're always making theological assumptions and assessments of ourselves and God and the world. And there are a few that are particularly dangerous when it comes to thinking about technology. And if we hold on to these assumptions, we really will undercut biblical wisdom. And the first one, and this, is really, this really is important, is I didn't, I didn't have a better word, so we have two isms that aren't real words. All right? One of them is out there is my biggest problems are outside of me. This is a real danger when it comes to technology. This is honestly most of our starting point, if we were honest with ourselves, that basically I'm good and I have good intentions, and what's inside of me is healthy, and my kids are pure, and it's all that out there that I have to guard against. Now, there is a grain of truth to some of that, and that's what makes lies especially pernicious. There is a grain of truth to that, but without the real recognition that that's not the problem, ultimately. The problem is my heart wants those things. So when they come by me, they aren't the instigator, I'm the instigator, and these little nudges basically give me the opportunity to fulfill what's already inside myself. Jesus said it like this, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. We don't make up front, if we don't cut down this assumption that I am good and my kids are good and what we want is good and it's those things that are the problem, you've already started the entire approach to technology with a 180-degree difference from reality. And it's really hard to interact with reality when one of your fundamental assumptions is against reality. So what I want to call you to is something that you already know, but without this intentionally in your mind when you sit down to talk about work through technology, it's very easy to slide into the kind of protectivism that makes assumptions about ourselves, God, and the world around us. Let's go over one more verse, and then I want to uh, ask you a couple questions about that. James says it like this, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That then, desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. In other words, both James and Jesus here are telling us that it's actually our hearts that are the problem in all of this. Jeremiah says it like this, the human heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Now, with this kind of assumption in place, if we were to say, well, generally the idea is like, I'm good and my kids are good and we're pure and it's those bad things outside of me that I have to protect against. What are some things that that says about us, God, and others that would be unbiblical? Right? So if you were to hold to that assumption, what are some things it says about God? What are some things it says about us? What are some things it says about others? Let me, let me give you a starting point. I'm getting some looks like, wait, what are we asking? <laughs> All right, so if you were to say, you know what, I'm fundamentally a good person. My biggest problems are outside of me. 
that also says some things about you. It says some things about others. It says some things about God. The easier one is probably what it says about you, which is the things I've been saying. I'm good. I'm a nice person. I'm pure. And less touched by something from the outside, I'm a good person. All right, so that's something it says about you. Something it says about others is that they're the enemy, essentially. <laughs> You're looking at them, and they're all essentially enemy. And so especially when it comes to parenting, this can really affect how you interact with technology. It's my child, and as long as I keep those kids away from my kid, my kid will be fine. The problem is that doesn't ever result in you actually investing in your child in both how to use technology properly and then actually helping your child grow. It's merely a protective mechanism that's based on a false assumption. What's something that that says about God? Um, since I've already mentioned something that says about others and something that says about ourselves. What is something that that kind of perspective says about God? <laughs> yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah, if we're good, basically God's there to morally guide us as we make, continue to make the right choices. Yeah, so God becomes essentially like a knowledge provider. I'm gonna provide you some knowledge and then you can carry on with your life, yeah. Okay, good. What else does it say about God, ourselves, or others? Anything else you can think of that I haven't mentioned? Yeah. That's all right. Yeah, essentially, yeah. That's another way. We're saying that God is wrong. Yeah, Elaine? Okay, well, thanks a lot, Joe. Next time we're going to have you guys arm wrestle, and, and then whoever wins gets to give an answer, right? Anything else it says about God, ourselves, or others? If we have this assumption that we're essentially good and that the bad things are outside of us, and those are our biggest problems, how does it change the way you might parent, in other words, think through that? Or how does it change the way you yourself might make decisions on, on uh, take you have not yet? Yeah. Take heed, he who stands, lest he fall. Yeah. Uh, we'll mention that a little bit faster. Especially with children, what you end up doing is creating an environment to where they are, by the nature of your expectations, they are actually practicing deceit by just living. Because they can't make mistakes in those areas because they're essentially good. And unless there's that, some outside influence, um, I, some of you may or may not know this, but I was a dorm supervisor at a college for two and a half years, something like that. And a lot of my role as a Christian college was to counsel guys. And a lot of those counseling situations were around pornography or those kinds of things. And there were really just two kinds of people that I interacted with there. There were the kinds of people who grew up in homes where they were expected to confess sin and ask forgiveness. Those people always, even if their, their fall into sin was much deeper, they were always very quick to actually come into a right relationship with the Lord and really grow leaps and bounds. Then there were the other kids, often from really, really solid, good homes, that had this basic expectation. You're good, and what we have to do is protect you from all the bad around you. And those kids were absolute masters in lying and deception. And what ended up happening is not only would we have to basically pin them down to get any kind of admission of any sin whatsoever, but then they never actually got to wholeness, ever. 
because they could never really come to grips with the fact that I'm broken and I need help and I want help and I will, I'll do whatever it takes to get it. Whereas these kids, every time they were like, give me help, I know I need it. I'll take whatever I need. You know, if I have to meet every day, I want to meet with you every day. So what you're actually doing is creating a home in which your children are assuming that like, I can't make mistakes because this fundamental reality is at play in your home. We'll talk about that a lot, especially next week. All right, um, well, there's more we can talk about here, but I don't want to um, belabor the point since we've got only so much time. Um, so we need to fundamentally recognize that when it comes to our struggles with technology or any other temptation, that we're our biggest problem, not the things outside of us. This is how God talks about us. And that has to be a foundational reality. There are a lot of other assumptions we make, but one other I want to point out is this, and that is avoidalism. <laughs> All right? Again, another word that doesn't exist. All right? By which I mean, basically, I don't need to have a strategy. You might say, like, I'm an adult. Like, yeah, I need to be careful, but I don't need to, like, have a sit-down talk with myself or my spouse or someone to, like, figure out how to do this. Maybe for my kids, but, like, I'll be okay. You know, I have a full career. I've lived many years. I don't really need this kind of thoughtfulness to this. I just want to encourage you that this kind of thinking that you don't need to have a strategy or if, we just, if I just try to be careful, if I just try to limit things, I'm fine, or surely my kids wouldn't whatever, or what we need to recognize is this, that technology itself isn't like a hammer. It's not a neutral tool. There, it's actually got a stream to it. It's got a current to it. And people who do nothing are taken by the stream. And maybe some different than others. That's one of the things that makes technology such a hard thing to interface with is what I mean by the internet is vastly different than by what some of you mean by the internet because I don't look at any of the things you look at and you don't look at any of the things I look at. And so what we experience is so different in all of this that each of us are gonna have different nudges from technology. Some of us really struggle with social media. Some of us aren't even, don't even know what that is. And there's a whole spectrum in but we're all influenced by people behind all of those machines and devices, whether they're real people we know who are nudging us socially on social media, or whether it's a algorithm, or whether it's some company trying to gather our information. All of us are influenced by it differently. And this kind of thinking that, hey, I just, I'll just try to be wise and move on with life, um, is insufficient. It really is in this kind of a challenge that we really haven't had to face before. Um, Proverbs says it like this, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. And there really is a recklessness to that kind of approach to technology. We're not in a space anymore where we can make those kinds of decisions. There was a time not too long ago where you could essentially avoid a lot of stuff and get by with life, but we're quickly moving past that. Uh, I remember, I think it was 2013 maybe, 2012, I was talking with a, it was when I was a, a involved in uh, student leadership at the college I was at. And we were trying to figure out basically how to help guys who were struggling with the internet. And at the time they'd had a really strict internet filter and I went down and sat with my boss and I said, you're not gonna believe this, but I read a report that said that Verizon says that by 2020, that like 80% of people will have smartphones. Now at the time there were like 10 smartphones I knew of, like on campus or anywhere. And so I was like, we're gonna have to actually move past just internet filtering and move towards actual, because before the only way they could get on was through the school internet. And now it's like, we have to actually move to helping people face this because they're going to face this, not just with pornography, but just how to use it in a healthy biblical way. 
all we had done to that point was basically say, here are some fences, don't go past them. Well, that's no way to positively approach some tool that God's given us. And at the time, it seemed mind-bending that everyone would have a smartphone, and I don't think it was 2016 until everyone did uh, on the campus there. Um, but being thoughtful about this and not reckless and careless is kind of a foundational starting point. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and I mentioned this earlier, therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And, um, this is a different sin situation in 1 Corinthians, but the same principle he's applying actually from the book of Proverbs. So I mentioned these two pitfalls that I think are especially, these assumptions that I think especially can derail us. Whether thinking like, we're good, my kids are good, it's just protecting the outside merely. Well, that, that at best will provide a safeguard, but no positive movement towards technology that allows you to use it biblically. Or to say like, I'll just try to be careful and move on with life is naive at the very least and that it sets you and your kids and your families up for failure and puts you in a spot where you're basically entering the den without recognizing it. Now, what I want to do, aside from pointing out these two pitfalls, is end on this, and that is to encourage one central commitment. I think because there are so many things that are so different about technology itself, I think we can tend to make it both too big of a deal and too little of a deal in our homes. Here's what I mean. We can make it too big of a deal in the sense that it's, it's like nothing we've ever faced, so therefore we don't interact with it like anything we've ever faced before. And too little of a deal in the sense that like, what we're really talking about here is how do you interact with life in your home? And if you limit it just to like, how do I touch my phone, then we've really made it too small in the home. Um, one of the things that we struggle with whenever we enter into new stages of life, I remember when Megan and I got married and we started trying to make decisions about our home life, that usually the discussion went something like this. Well, what did you guys do? And she would say, well, we did this. And she'd say, what did you do? And I'd say, well, we did this. And we'd say, well, which one of those do you want to choose? All right, now, um, I'm sure you've had those same kind of situations in your, your own family. Especially when it comes to parenting, you're like, well, what did, what did your parents do? And what did your parents do? And a lot of times what ends up happening out of that is both of you say, like, well, I didn't really like what my parents did. And you're like, I didn't like what my parents did. And so what you end up doing is you end up practicing out of that kind of negative perspective. Not just in the sense, in the sense that it's a, like a sad negative thing, but in the sense that like, that doesn't lead to any positive changes or positive uses of whatever that is. So let me give you an example. You might say, like, well, my parents made me practice piano constantly and were just like, you know, really slave masters about it and really ruined my childhood over that, right? Now, hopefully there's nobody like that, but maybe there is, all right? Um, and so I've heard, I've heard parents say that exact thing before. So because of that, I am not going to make my child, I'm not going to be overbearing at all about their, their piano or whatever happens to be the music lessons. Now, with something as innocuous as music lessons, that's probably okay. But no doubt you've had those kinds of thoughts about the way your parents discipline or what your parents let you buy or all those kinds of things. And so what ends up happening is you parent out of not wanting to be like something. Well, you all know how that turns out, don't you? At best, you have a really anemic home that doesn't do certain things. Well, that's not exactly the kind of Christian flourishing home that God's calling us to, is it? So what I want to encourage us to is to not ask those kinds of questions, not to be primarily negative in our treatment of technology. But instead, to say, like, here's what we're going for, and now let's fit technology into that. 
here's our goal as a family. So here's the central commitment I want to call you to. Have a Bible-saturated commitment to build a Christ-centered home with technology in its proper place. In other words, one of the things that we can really get off when it comes to technology in our homes is, like I said, to make it too big of a deal or too small of a deal. So what I'm going to call you to, especially in these next two lessons, where we'll get a lot more specific, and I'm going to try to flesh out several biblical principles for you, is for you and your spouse or for you yourself personally to sit down and say, what are the characteristics of this home that God wants us to build? And then to ask the follow-up questions, which will, these will essentially be our next two weeks. How can thoughtlessly following the nudges from tech distract from that purpose or harm that purpose? Or how could thoughtfully using technology aid that purpose? So in other words, the, the centerpiece is really the home that God wants you to build. And technology is merely, it ends up being a tool that you're wielding at that what happens is if we don't make it that way, then technology ends up wielding us even if we're just trying to control it. So when we think about the Christian home, and here's where I want to end, what are some words or what are some um, principles biblically that God wants to be a part of our Christian home? In other words, if we were to take a, a family and put them out right out here, not any of you guys, but just somebody, all right? Mom, dad, kids, all right? And he said, like, if we were to say, you know, here's really what that home should look like biblically. What are some words that should describe that home? Right? There's a ton, right? What are some things that should describe a Christian home? Let's leave technology out of it. In a second, we'll apply it to it. What are some things that should describe a Christian home? All right, intentional, right? So it should be intentional? Good. What else? What should describe a Christian home? All right, love, right? That's certainly has to be near the center, right? This kind of pulling towards each other in love, right? What else should describe a Christian home? It can be a word or a phrase or an idea. Yeah, the Bible should be applied when you're disciplining, when you're um, talking with each other, as you just casually interact over the day, over what God's taught you. Yes, yeah, so the Bible needs to be a part of that. It can't just be there when you, as a stick to discipline your children, right? It has to actually be part of your home life. It should be on the walls of your life, yeah. What else? Prayer, right? Good. So a prayerful home where you and your children, that's that's a pattern of your home. Right? What else? Yeah. yeah, a focused home. Good. And focused on Christ in particular. Now there's a sense in which we could say, well, a really good moral atheist or a really good moral, you know, put your religion in could have some of those things as part of their home. What what would make a home distinctly Christian? Does that make sense? Not just Christianized, generally speaking, as far as more morally. What makes it Christian? What are some things that would make it Christian? Some of these would fit in that category. Okay? Yeah, so there'd be actually like a target as a family that we're trying to grow together towards Christ. All right, good. So that would be different. And that's not just a moral thing, right? It's actually a personal connection with a real person, right? That would be specifically Christian. Good. What else? Yeah. Yeah, grace and mercy. Especially when we talk about that kind of whole confession and forgiveness. There would be a, a home, a Christian home is uniquely fitted for that kind of pattern of confession and forgiveness and grace. All right, good. What else would be uniquely Christian or, or just generally about a Christian home? What, what else should define a Christian home? Yeah, a, a, a family that's built around a church family, a local family. Good. That would be a uniquely Christian thing. 
Anything else generally or specifically about a, a home? Right now, the reason I had you do this is because now what we need to ask is how can technology hurt those purposes or how can technology help those purposes? And what we need to do is be intentional about wielding technology for that end goal. But without the goal in place, what ends up happening is technology is the only thing you're holding on to. And you're wielding it to no end. So I've, I'm going to give you a little homework as we end right now, and that is this. I just want you to go, whether you're uh, single or whether you have a family, I want you to go and spend some time this week and just craft out, like, what, what do we want to define our, our home? And one of the things that's really easy to get into as a parent is to think that, like, every decision I make has maximal importance. And there's a sense in which, really, the only thing your kids are going to remember, especially if they're like me who has no memory of life, is they're just going to remember the major themes that just were consistent in the home. They're going to remember the major things, right? So what are the major building blocks that you say, you know what, I want, if I want my home to be a home of prayer, we need to really put that as one of our central things. We're going to be a praying home. If my kids don't remember anything else, they're going to say, like, we just prayed all the time. Well, then let's make that a pattern in your home. So my homework for you this week, and next week, like I said, this week was definitely more on the um, kind of principalized idea. Next week, we'll get a lot more specific about a lot of these things. But my prayer for you this week, my homework for you this week, is that you'll go and just sit down and take 10 minutes between you and your spouse or you yourself just say, like, what is the kind of home that I think God wants me to have here? With an open Bible, prayerfully before God. And I'm going to encourage over the next few weeks that we prayerfully and purposefully rule our devices, that we practice confession and forgiveness, that we use technology openly and without secrecy, that we use technology to bring people together, that we use technology to create more than we consume, that we don't use technology as an escape, but rather that we learn as a family how to escape to Christ himself. All right, so that's what we're going to talk over in the next several weeks. But I hope thinking through this problem has encouraged you to really sit down and say, like, what is it that God wants us to move towards? And then to ask how technology will last All right, let's pray, and we will be dismissed. God, thank you so much for the wisdom that you've given us in your word. And even as we just kind of dance around on some of these principles, I pray that you would help us to um, submit ourselves to what you have, and that you would really make us more intentional and thoughtful people who... Make our homes distinctly Christian and not merely just moral centers of goodness. And I pray that the end result wouldn't be that we would end up praising ourselves and thankful for how good we had done, but really that that kind of Christian approach would cause us to praise Christ. He is the centerpiece of all we do. We pray this in Christ's name.